Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be back in worship after being gone the last couple Sundays. Uh, though I was out of town, uh, I was sure to watch the services online and uh, sure appreciate uh, Paul and Wes for filling in. I uh, got the chance to listen to, to Paul a couple weeks ago. He did a fantastic job preaching out of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 on the topic of worship and honoring God. It was wonderful. Uh, Wes preached last week a great message, too, and we were zooming through, uh, on, uh, through the plains of Illinois on the interstate early morning, and I heard his message at the first service. I even heard his phone ring during his sermon, which is kind of... I, I wish I would have thought of that, called him back, hey, it's Doug, turn off your phone. But I, I, I didn't do that. I thought of it too late, and I didn't think he would answer anyway. But uh, I'm so grateful to serve with a wonderful team and serve in a wonderful church, and so it's good to be back. I appreciate it. Now, if you've been with us over the course of the summer, you know that we've been working our way through this, this old book, this ancient book, this Old Testament book called Ecclesiastes. And we've been working our way through portions of it. And two of the last three weeks, we stepped out of Ecclesiastes. Uh, and now we're stepping back in to finish up. And we're finishing up by looking at the last, oh, about 15, 16, 17 verses of the book. The last few verses of chapter 11 and the, the, the 14 verses of chapter 12. I'll be reading through portions of that as we make our way through the sermon this morning. Now, a few words about Ecclesiastes. It's an old book. It was written before Christ was born, centuries before Christ was born. It's known as a wisdom book because its, it's intent, part of its purpose is to provide wisdom and perspective about God, about life, you know, about the human condition. And it can also be viewed as a book that's depressingly realistic uh, about the brevity and the difficulty and unfairness of life. Uh, In fact, almost 40 times Ecclesiastes uses a a Hebrew word, hebel, which basically connotes this idea of smoke or vapor, this this sense of of, of everything about life being temporal uh, and and the world around us being temporal. Uh, Some English translations will usually translate this word with one of two ways, vanity or meaningless. And so we'll read through and we'll hear vanity of vanities, it's all vain, vanity, or meaningless, it's all meaningless. And the author does this sort of experiment. He calls himself the teacher. Uh, Many people think we're talking about Solomon here, but he calls himself the teacher most of the time. He does a sort of experiment and he makes observations about life. And so he seeks meaning in the pursuit of intellectual pursuits, wisdom and education. He seeks meaning and purpose uh, in wealth and possessions. He seeks meaning and purpose in the in, in kind of in pleasure, wine, women and songs, so to speak. He, he seeks meaning in work and achievement and his legacy. In the end, he says they're all meaningless. They're all hevel, like smoke, like vapor. They're maybe bring you pleasure in a moment, some portion of satisfaction. But in the end, it doesn't really fully satisfy you. You're left wanting more. Now, periodically, in the midst of all this hard reality of the book of Ecclesiastes, we are pointed to God. For example, one of one of, one of many places, in chapter three, we're told that God has created eternity in the hearts of human beings. The implication is that we are yearning for something beyond this world and we're dissatisfied with the things of the world because we're meant and created for something beyond this world. And that ultimately our true satisfaction and meaning will only be satisfied when we're in a relationship with God. And so the first 11 chapters, they spell out this brokenness of the world and the mess that we as human beings have made of it. And he he usually uses several examples of this. I won't cover them all, but he talks about the corruption in politics, oppression of the poor and the weak, people who use power for themselves, people who use religion to impress other people to try and impress God, the way we seek to find a a God-shaped hole in our lives and to fill it with anything but him. And then we we come to the conclusion 
And so in the passage that we're going to be looking at today, the teacher kind of lays his cards on the table. And he begins by saying something to us that he said many, many times before. And he doesn't say it because he, he thinks, well, they, they must have missed that. They, they didn't hear it. He says it because, because he knows we don't always live as if we have heard it and understand it. And it's this. You only have a short time to live. Life is brief. It's over, just like that. And then he tells us, in light of this, this, this tough reality, how we are to live. So let's pick it up at the end of chapter 11, verses 7 and 8. He writes, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Okay. So he kind of begins with a positive note, which may be surprising to folks, because most people think of this guy as sort of a pessimist, a hard pessimistic realist. But in verse 7, he uses light as an image for life. He says that light is, life is good. Life, life is, is sweet. Enjoy life the way you enjoy the sweetness of honey. But then in verse 8, he continues and says, however many years anyone may live, So he's acknowledging that we really don't know how many years we have. We might be 30 and healthy and our life could be over in a week. Uh, We could be 90 and we could live 10 more years. We, We don't know how many years anyone may live. Let them enjoy them all. Now, sometimes we can begin to take life for granted. You know, you live long enough, you kind of maybe are going to fall into a pattern of of kind of waiting, kind of a holding pattern, kind of waiting for the next thing, waiting for. Your, 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 your graduation to come, waiting for the time when you can get married, waiting for the time when you can get that job, waiting for the time when you can have kids, waiting for the time when your kids will leave the house, uh, waiting for the time when you can retire. And, and we, we get in a holding pattern. And the teacher says, don't do that. Life is short. So really live life. Engage your life each and every day. Because he reminds us the days of darkness will be many. So he's basically saying life on this side of the grass is short. Life on the other side of the grass where you can't see the sun, it's long. Now, it's helpful for us to remember that he, this is a book that's relevant for all of us, whatever stage of life we're in. But he's in mind, in mind, he has especially the people who are going to come after him, the, the coming generations. Remember, he's looking at the end of his life. He's looking back towards the end of his life, looking back at what's happened, what he's experienced, what he's learned and observed. And he's passing this wisdom, these observations, these conclusions on to those who are going to follow him. And he's writing because he knows that when you're young, when you're healthy, when life is good, it's very easy to waste time. But he tells them life is sweet, but it's very, very short and you never know when it might end. I was reminded of this very, very poignantly these past few weeks. Nancy and I, we were gone for a couple of Sundays. We moved our oldest boy, J.D., to Boston. He's, you know, it's a job he's been working remotely for over a year, but we moved him there. They said, you can come to work now. 1,600 miles in two days. I was pretty tired from driving. But it was, it was, it was a more of a working vacation, but it was neat to be able to experience it with him, to get him settled and all that, and help him with some things. A week from tomorrow, our youngest son, Reed, and our last child will be moving to college. When we moved here almost 25 years ago this Thanksgiving, Neither of my sons had been born. 
Our daughter was 11 months old. In many ways, it seems like yesterday. Life is short. And we're reminded of this in Ecclesiastes. We must remember this if we are to live wisely now. Now, just in case we don't get his point, the teacher includes a poignant and moving description of what it's like to get older in chapters 12, chapter 12, the first seven verses. Remember that he's thinking of primarily people who are going to come after him. People who have a lot of their life looking ahead. And he begins by saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Now, he's trying to remember said, there's going to be a time when you're not young anymore. Um, the German philosopher Goethe said this, age takes hold of us by surprise. Isn't that the truth? You're 50 and all of a sudden you think, I, boy, I, I feel like I'm 30, but I know I'm not. You know, I was talking about this with somebody the other day about mortality. And, and you know, we all want to live to be 95 and die with the health of a 30-year-old. You know, <laughs> not, not going to happen. This, this is not going to happen. And so he, he says that one day, well, let's listen to what he says. We'll read the first seven verses. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble, a tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they're few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades and men rise up at the sound of birds and all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Kind of depressing stuff. Remember him, talking about God, before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. So, if you didn't catch it all, let me, let me break this down into our language. What he's talking about, how we're going to grow. He says, one day you're going, to take, you're going to stop taking pleasure in life. One day your eyesight's going to diminish and you'll long for the days when you only needed bifocals. One day your, your body will be like a decaying old house that trembles and is weak. Our teeth will decay. Our hearing will diminish. We'll be much more fearful of falling, of dangers. We're going to be more vulnerable. Our hair will change color if we have any. Our sexual desire will diminish. We'll become less agile and eventually we'll die. Good news, you know. <laughs> you try telling somebody who's young or healthy or in a good place in life that this is true. Like, yeah, 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 I get it. But we don't live like we know that it's true. And he says it's true. So what should we do? The end of chapter 11 again, verses 9 through 10. Conclusion number two, life is short, so enjoy life as much as you can while you can. You who are young, be happy while you're young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. Doesn't mean they're not important, but saying these things aren't going to last. You try to hold on to them and they're going to be gone. Anybody who's gone through a, a health crisis, you're healthy one day and you're not the next, knows what this is like. You can't hold on to your youth. You can't hold on to your appearance. You can't hold on to your strength. 
your health. Eventually, we can do things to manage those things, to extend, but ultimately, we can't hold on to them. They're meaningless in a sense of they're temporal. Now, when you read through these verses, on one hand, you can look at death, he says, and allow yourself to be depressed, kind of the harsh realist. Life is hard and then we're going to die, you know. Or you can deny death and be happy. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about my mortality. I'm just going to enjoy life and not even think about it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. And these are the options that we normally hold out to people. Pretend you're ageless and really live or acknowledge the reality of death and hate everything about life. You know, our, our culture is, 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 is crazy about this. We spend almost $100 billion a year trying to look younger and trying to prevent aging so that we don't have to look at the fact that our lives are short and that we're farther along than we really want to be. I was talking to somebody the other day. They're almost 60. I'm like, oh, I'm middle-aged. I'm like, no, no, you're not really middle-aged. You know, if you live to be 120, you're middle-aged, but you're probably not going to, that's not going to happen. You're like two-thirds of the way there, maybe three-fourths of the way there. I don't like to think about it, but it's the truth. But the teacher here gives us another alternative. He says, look at the brevity of life and allow it to drive you to make the most of every moment. Don't embrace denial. Don't become cynical, but, but be, be joyful. Be thankful, knowing that you have limited time and do your best to make it count. Be joyful. Enjoy the days of your youth. Enjoy the good days you have when your body is strong, when the future is full of possibilities, when you have freedom to, to do things, to take risks, to choose direction. Enjoy those days. Make the most of them. Let's pick it up again, but from a different passage. Psalm 90:12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And then Paul, the New Testament version of this says, Look, live carefully then how you live, not as unwise but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, we don't want to look back at life someday and have all these regrets. I mean, all of us have regrets. I have regrets. I'm sure each one of you, I should have known better. I should have done this. I did know better, but I didn't do it. I wish I would have. I, I, you know, I wish I would have taken this chance. I wish I would have done this. Whatever. We all are going to have regrets. But we don't want to look back and have a life just defined by regrets. In his book, don't Waste Your Life, John Piper recounts a story that his father told him about his days as a Baptist evangelist. It's about a man who came to faith in Christ near the end of his life. Piper writes, The church had prayed for this man for decades. He was hard and resistant, but this time, for some reason, he showed up when my father was preaching. At the end of the service during a hymn, to everyone's amazement, he came and took my father's hand. They sat down together on the front of the pew, the front pew of the church, as the people were dismissed. God opened his heart to the gospel. And he was saved from his sins and given eternal life. But that did not stop him from sobbing and saying, as the tears ran down his wrinkled face, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. Don't be that guy. But even if you feel like you are that guy, remember that by the grace of God, even a life that's almost totally wasted can still be redeemed. This life is just a short preface to a long eternity. But why wait even a moment longer to start living your life for Jesus Christ? You have one life to live. Don't waste it living for yourself when you can use it for the glory of God. The next conclusion that he gives us is life is short. Enjoy it as much as you can while you can. And remember your creator. 
He begins chapter 12 with this. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember that God has created you, that God has called you, that he's given you everything you have. He's given you life. He's given you the world to live in. He's given you abilities and talents. He's given you family and friends. He's given you everything that we have to enjoy in life. But the problem is, for most of us, very easy to forget, especially when we're young and things are going well or when we're healthy and all is right in the world with our, our lives, our finances, our families. And it's easy to forget. And one of the reasons that we, we celebrate communion, which we're going to be doing in a few moments so regularly, is because we need to be reminded on a regular basis of who God is, of his love for us, of his offer of salvation and forgiveness, and what Christ has done for us on the cross. Because we so quickly and easily forget. Almost done here. I'm getting ready to land the plane. Chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. And here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all. Paul talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This idea of, of fearing God, that God's not your homeboy, which I totally agree with. God is holy and just and perfect. God is almighty. God takes sin seriously. Fearing God means that we know who he is, that we take him seriously, that we acknowledge him in our lives as the highest good. It means that we stop trying to be our own little gods and arrange our lives and control our lives, that we stop trying to seek fulfillment in other things and put God first instead. Tony Evan puts it this way. The old belief centuries ago was that the sun revolved around the earth. As we now know, this belief was wrong. The earth revolves around the sun. Many of us have got it wrong in our spiritual lives. God does not revolve around us. We revolve around him. We know that we fear God when we have made him the centerpiece of our lives. The only way to live in light of someone who is both your creator and the one who will judge you for what you've done with your life and evaluate those things and who's given you everything is to live your life in orbit around him, to center your life around God. So give your life to God while you still have the strength and the energy and the passion to make a difference in the world. You know, Bono from U2, one of, my, one of my favorite bands, has written this. He wrote, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. It's about a character who wants to find out why he's alive, why he was created. He tries knowledge. He tries wealth. He tries experience. He tries everything. You hurry to the end of the book to find out why, and it says, remember your creator. In a way, it's such a letdown. Yet, he says, it isn't. He's right. It's not a letdown. Getting to know your creator and your God before you grow old and die is, is the most important thing that you will ever do. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, you have the opportunity to use the rest of your life, beginning now, resolving to waste no more time, but to live each and every moment for the glory of the one who is your creator. So I want to close with three final questions as we conclude this sermon series on this, this book. And these are intended to make sure that we take the advice and observations and conclusions of Ecclesiastes seriously to heart. First, are you pursuing any of the dead ends that Ecclesiastes warns us about? Are you trying to find meaning and purpose? Is the center of your life something other than God? Like work, like wealth, like experiences, like family, like whatever it might be, pleasure. Second, have you centered your life around God, your creator? Is he at the center of all you do, 
Does he direct your life? Do you walk for him each and every day? And third, are you demonstrating your love for God by obeying his commandments? Jesus said, you, they will, I will know if you love me if you keep my commands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for these ancient words of truth. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are our creator, that you create us in your image to, to know you, to walk with you, to serve you, to enjoy the life that you've given us. So, Father, we ask that your spirit would guide us uh, and direct us, convict us of where we are pursuing things for meaning instead of you. Uh, reveal to us if you are not at the center of our lives. Uh, show us, Lord, where we are not keeping your commands. And help us, Lord, to make the most of the time you've given us. To enjoy as much life as we can while we can. To know you, to fear you, to worship you. And to walk in your ways. We ask this through Christ, O oh Lord. Amen.